Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. In this episode, you'll meet Allie Danziger, who has founded and sold two startup businesses in her career. Allie shares many great tips on how to be successful in business, but one of the best is to focus on your own self-care to build good habits that will translate into your professional life. Okay, Allie, I want to thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I'm excited to, to do this with you. So there's a lot that we could cover and talk about with you, and I hope we get to touch on everything. But I want to start with current business. Tell us what it is and what it's known for. So Ampersand business yeah. is a training platform that helps early career professionals learn the skills they need to succeed in their careers. So what was your inspiration for starting Ampersand? So, well, Ampersand is, I mean, in a little bit more detail, it's a training platform. So we have 250 different lessons in there that students or early career professionals never learn, not in college, oftentimes not through college or high school jobs that they may have, of really how to succeed, how to send a calendar invite, how to attend a meeting, when to raise your hand in a meeting, how to ask your boss for a vacation the right way, don't book the flight and then ask for the vacation, <laughs> ask them first, have a plan, here's the agenda, what to do when you meet with your team before you go on that vacation, how to come back, what to text, what to do if your boss texts you while you're on vacation. So all these like unwritten rules. And all of that came from my experience in my previous business where we hired over 250 interns and entry-level employees and I was constantly frustrated that they just didn't know these things. And so we built pretty robust training at that other company called Integrate for our interns and entry-level employees. When COVID hit, I was spending a lot of time talking to young professionals who had lost their jobs or internships. I realized I was saying the same things over and over again and looked around for resources for them, for podcasts to listen to or books to read or whatever. And there was nothing that could teach all of those just I call it the unwritten rules of the workplace. Soft skills, power yeah. skills, durable skills. Like there's a ton of buzzwords for it. Social intelligence. <laughs> How right? do you grow up? There's a book, there's a book right? Yeah. Social intelligence. Yeah. kind of that. Yeah, uh, it is. And so that was the impetus to start a quick pilot as a nights and weekends project to test the concept and then launch this. That's amazing. And definitely serving. I mean, I think what I find interesting about all of my guests is usually the inspiration is experiencing some gap in whatever industry they're in, and then taking advantage of it. That sounds exactly what you've done with Ampersand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's still, and I just cannot believe it, that there still is nothing that we have yet to find that is interesting and engaging training that Gen Z or young professionals actually want to go through and participate in that teaches these really important skills. There's a lot of boot camps out there. There's a lot of schools out there. There's a lot of workforce development programs that are trying different things but what I believe we've created something that works at scale to keep young adults really engaged. That's great. So I know just you know from knowing you that you've recently kind of taken Ampersand to a new level. Yeah. Uh, kind of maybe 
to the extent you can share that, I mean, what, what's transpired and, and how is that going to help take the company to the next level? Absolutely. So just two weeks ago, we were acquired by a student lending company called Ascent Funding. So actually now I am the SVP and GM of the success platform at Ascent Funding. And what they, why that made sense is they have always offered every single borrower, hundreds of thousands of borrowers, career coaching because they believe that their job as a lender is not just to give them money and then ask for money back upon graduation, knowing that colleges don't necessarily adequately prepare you to go get that job, but that they want to really ensure the success of every student they give money to. They're one of the good guys. Yeah, so your values aligned. Our values were very aligned. And so we were out raising money and meeting with lots of different VCs and and different companies out there. And I met the Ascent folks and we realized that this is just one of those situations where one plus one equals five. And we could really use it as an opportunity to grow their business while giving Ampersand the resources that we needed from dev support, leadership, et cetera, additional coaches to really grow our platform in the existing way that we always have to the businesses and to colleges and you know simultaneously help their business too. That's great. Well, congratulations on that. I'm very so excited. Well, we don't always start, that's not necessarily the end, but we'll go back more to the beginning. What you're doing is innovative to say the least. So, so what is it that you try to do at Ampersand that fosters creativity, innovation in order to kind of propel the business? So for me personally and for my team, I mean, we are, we're a learning and development platform, but I think it's super important for us to constantly be learning and developing ourselves as well. And so it's just by taking time to stay up to date with what's happening in the market, knowing that what we've created doesn't exist. And so it is white paper, which is sometimes very scary for yeah. me and the team, right? Like it's, we're not making something better, cheaper, or faster than someone else. We are truly creating something that has never existed before, which is good and bad. It's right? going to be inspirational and yes. exciting. And it's certainly great for recruiting and it's certainly great for just like seeing something in a totally different market and thinking about how that can apply to Ampersand and applying some of the problems in the industry, in the ed tech space, in the fintech space, in the workforce development space and saying, well, guys, this is really broken. Y'all been doing the same thing the same way for 25 years. Let's come in and I'm allowed to like, ask some questions because I'm new to the space and we're creating something different, which I think get the brain working. With my previous business, with Integrate, I was really focused on just like serving our clients. We were a marketing agency, worked with over 600 businesses in my 12 year tenure, but we were busy all the time and I never really took the time or I didn't take enough time to develop my own professional development skills, my own leadership skills until about halfway through that experience and then realized how much that work is actually the work. Like right. that's the work that matters. Right. But I used to think that it wasn't. And so I think it's just about structuring your days and again, myself and my team, structuring our days so that we have the time and space to think, to create, to brainstorm. And it's unstructured. It's not through a meeting or like time block on your calendar to do work so that you can innovate. What are some of the things, getting a little granular on that point, that you do or that you recommend a listener that's yeah. a business owner trying to grow due to structure so they can find that time. Yeah, so I, well, I work out and I, when I work out, I usually, when I run, I listen to business books. 
and your brain wanders while you're on a run listening to a business book, but yeah. it's like every single book that I read, I change my way of thinking about something or come up with some different idea. Same with podcasts too, so hopefully this will inspire the listeners. But That's the goal. Yeah, constantly <laughs> like learning different opinions and just different ways of doing things is what opens up my mind. If I do that in a really structured setting, I get really bored, right? right? Like if I do it, I have to sit at my desk and I have to learn something in that moment. But for me personally, it's while I'm on a run or while I'm in my car and I'm like half listening, when I don't really need to learn something but really just be inspired, that's when it works for me to come up with those ideas. Okay. I also do a lot of yoga and so then that, that is when the ideas then like formulate more. But my team always knows that in March-ish, when the weather starts to get better, at around 5 a.m. is when they'll start getting these emails from me because I will have, 6 a.m., sorry, because yeah. I will have just gotten back from a run, and, like, the ideas just are flowing, <laughs> and they get super annoyed. I love that. Well, I'm an early morning workout person myself, and I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. The question, the challenge is capturing them, right, because you don't, you can't oh, write yeah. it down or whatever. Well, so, in my yoga class, I always, I try to remember to take a notepad and pen because they want to let your phones in, and then that way, just as the ideas come, I can write them down and hopefully remember what they mean later. Uh, I try doing it in my Apple Watch with that, then it's just gibberish, and I have no idea what it means. Yeah. And on a run, yeah, I'll send myself emails that just no subject line is every idea yes. that pops into my head. I love it. Yeah. Good. So, you mentioned Integrate. First company you started, you know, maybe you mentioned a little bit about what it was. Maybe give the listeners a little more background on that company, what it was doing, and kind of what your inspiration was there, and how that, I guess, company evolved into being sold. For sure. So I started that company when I was 23. I was working in New York for a PR agency that was just a traditional PR. There was no social media or anything like that at the time, and the real estate market crashed. It, six months into my first job out of college. And so they laid off half the staff. I assumed that I would be laid off because, you know, for last one in, first one out is what you normally heard. Sure. That boss took a totally different approach to the 2008 recession and she kept the junior level employees and the like most executive team. So all the like middle level, everything is what is who was laid off. I started looking around though because I assumed that in some time, it was a real estate focused PR firm. Like, Okay. It was not going to do very well. Okay. They ended up doing you saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> yeah. So I started looking around and saw that most of the PR agencies were starting social media departments. And so I went to my boss against my parents' suggestion and said, in the next round of layoffs, you can lay me off because I'm actually more interested in the social media side of things. And I think that's the future of marketing. And she said, why don't you start that at our firm? And so I was 22. Six months out of college, or probably eight months out of college at the time, and she gave me an opportunity that completely changed my life. And I was within two months of that conversation, running the PL, going to my own new business meetings, hiring a team, all under her guidance and leadership. But I was speaking all over the country, like about social media and real estate and how social media was going to really change the way that real estate marketing was done. And so I was on all these panels and as I was doing that, I was getting business opportunities, mm. and, but they were too small for the agency to take on. So I started taking freelance opportunities on that my boss actually like helped me write the contracts for and learn how to do freelance work because it was a recession and she couldn't pay us, uh, her employees very much more. Right. And so she said, as long as this doesn't get in the way of what you're doing for the firm, like all good. What a great, it was amazing. 
yeah, great opportunity, great person yeah. to have in your corner. Mm-hmm. And all of that gave me the entrepreneurial bug. Yeah. <laughs> so after about a year of that experience and learning under her guidance and having all of these different freelance opportunities, I did the math that I think a lot of budding entrepreneurs do where I said, well, if I had full time, I used up all my sick and vacation days. There was no <laughs> remote work or anything like there is today. Gig economy, like none of that right. existed. <laughs> and I did the math of if I had my normal 60 hours a week to do all this freelance work, how much money, how much more money I could possibly make. So quit my job, gave myself a month living in New York to see, am I really the type of person who will wake up early and get the work done? Or do I need a boss? I didn't know myself well enough. Do I need a boss to help guide me through a normal work day? And quickly realized that when I was working for myself, I was much more of a hustler and would wake up even earlier and work even harder. And so after that month, came to Houston and started Integrate. I'm from Houston, so came home. I couldn't really afford to... The risky, it, the risk in the New York rent and, sure. and expenses. So he came to Houston, August two thousand nine, and started Integrate. We were the first social media PR agency, I think, in all of Texas. Wow. Two thousand nine, and so it was something different. Businesses just like believed me talking about social media more so than companies who were adding social media into their portfolio, the agencies who had been around for 20, 30 years and were now starting to talk about social media, we could come in just with a different lens, even though I was 23, 24 years old, right. and just talk about it a little bit differently. So that was the start of Integrate. Over the years, we grew, evolved, added other services in. But I never could quite get a handle on digital marketing. It's just not my skill set. Tried to hire for that skill set, tried to acquire for that skill set, and just never could break. We were never the best digital marketing agency where I really do believe we were the best PR and social media agency. And so, long story long, in 2017, I ended up meeting my business partner who had the same business idea as I did. He came from a digital marketing background, had already raised money to go buy other agencies, and he needed. PR support, just like okay. the digital support. And so ended up buying the company and it was a really quick process. It was not really the way that I had structured the business from day one. It was not my original goal to sell that business. I thought I'd be running Integrate my entire life. My kids would work there one day. Right. But then when that opportunity presented itself, it just made sense. Like all of a sudden it clicked that like, oh, maybe there's other things that the agency could be. Maybe there's other things that I could do. It ended up being a great outcome for me, for my team, for my clients, for the agency as a whole, it just was, again, like a life-changing experience that wasn't exactly the plan, but sometimes you just have to go with it when those opportunities are presented to you. you, and you, it, you yeah. The one thing about a plan, right, is it's once you write it down and implement it, you take it a, right. a step or two and it's done, right. right? But at least there's a kind of a foundation, but yeah, you're right. You never know what the world's going to bring you. Right, yeah. And so that, that's how that ended up going. I stayed on board for three and a half years running our sales and growth and continuing to like blend the services of PR and social media that we were bringing to the table as well as the digital SEO website, everything that their experience was, all still under the same name of Integrate now and still thriving agency. Well, that, that that's one thing that's kind of cool about the story, I think, is you get, quote, acquired, but they kept your name. Yeah, I mean, we had really strong brand loyalty, brand legacy, and had worked really hard on that in Houston. So since the agency was going to have a big presence in Houston, it just made more sense to keep the name. Well, let's go back, whether it's Integrate or Ampersand, and share some of the learnings of what it's like to just 
step out on your own? What are some of the pitfalls you encountered, how you grew from them, what you learned that kind of helped make the company better as a result of going through that rough kind of starting the business kind of time? Yeah, and both businesses definitely have to Less, you know, lessons learned, mistakes made, and right. moments where you look around and you're like, what did I just do? I should just go get a job at a big <laughs> company. Why am I doing this to myself, making life so hard? But it's also, it's so rewarding being able to bring something that you believe into the world. Sure. Sorry, your question was what... Some of the lessons learned of, like, whether it was a, you know, a misstep or a mistake or, God, I wish I'd have known that. If I only knew that now when I had started, right? So just kind of thinking through every entrepreneur I know is like, you know, getting it off the ground is just sometimes you don't even know what you don't know. Right. But yeah. so one one thing that I think is a lesson learned and something that I have done pretty well, I believe, is just sometimes you just have to get started. While there is research and work that has to be done, sometimes you just have to start testing, start learning, see if there's even if you don't know what the product is, see if there's product market fit and if anybody cares. Because if you wait until it's perfect, if you wait till you have the best website to launch or you have you know, the product completely defined or the pricing model completely defined, you may never do it and then somebody else will and you'll be kicking yourself later. So that's something that may be too fast, but I have tried to do that and give other entrepreneurs that same mm. guidance. Yeah, um, makes that sense. That said, with Ampersand, I did not do enough market research when I got started. I was very passionate about what we were doing, still am, and I believed that this needed to be in the market, but I didn't look around to see why it isn't in the market. Okay. <laughs> because it does, and it's, again, it still does not exist. There's no training out there that teaches young professionals how to be grown ups, and there's just an, it's still an issue with who's the stakeholder, who's going to pay for that. And I think there's other parties that have maybe tried and also couldn't find that same answer. And I didn't do enough of that research in the beginning to really understand how do colleges actually work with their students? What do they actually care about at the end of the day? Even though they say all these things, what's their real motivation? Who's really paying their dollars? Right. And and what are the struggles that they're, or what are the problems they're trying to solve for? And then same thing on the workforce side. Like, why doesn't this exist? Where are the engagement issues? Where are the employee issues? Where are the manager struggles? And not just my own biases and not the, like, I did talk to 200 business owners before launching this, but, you know, stepping outside of my bubble, stepping outside of my community to get their input, just to really understand what else exists. That's a mistake that I certainly made. And then also your team. You have to really think diligently, think about who you're adding both to your cap table. Right, um, for sure. Big time. <laughs> and to your founding team to make sure that not just for the problem that you're trying to solve in that moment today, but also where you want the company to go. What do you? What are you going to need at the table? Advisory boards can be re were really helpful for me in that to add some expertise where I couldn't afford to hire and I couldn't fundraise from these different verticals or industries. So that that is a way that I kind of solved that a little bit. But, but being really careful about who you're giving equity to is a big lesson learned. For sure. This experience too. For sure, right? You and sometimes when you need the money, like you need the money or you need the support and so you take it. But next time around, I will be much more diligent and listen to all of the tales that are out there and like why there's a reason people say don't raise money from friends and family. There's a reason right. people say don't you know work with family or people you know intimately. So all those things have a reason. <laughs> yeah, and, and as, 
They absolutely do. We tell clients all the time, just before you bring on partners, make sure you know who that is, whether it's friends and family or someone else. Yeah. <clears throat> as soon as you bring them in, you can't really get rid of them yeah. absent writing a check. Yep. So yep. it can be an expensive yep. lesson to learn. Yeah. And for us, everything luckily like, worked out in the end, but it caused extra heartache or work along the way. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about just managing through uncertainty, whether that be economic times, like we, we've seen here, in, you know, obviously in the recent times with the kind of ups and downs in the market and what's going on and other types of just, you know, uncertainty as you're starting and running a business. Yeah. How have you managed through that? What are some of the maybe things you've learned that you could pass on and the things that have helped you keep the both of these businesses going and thriving? Yeah, so on a personal level, I got this advice once years ago from someone in my EO forum, was to work on your own self-care in times of not stress so that when you are stressed, they're your natural habits. So there are times over the past 10 years or so that I've looked around and realized that things are kind of slow. And instead of, trust me, I've added chaos in those moments too because I'm bored, but I also try to up my meditation, increase my water, you know, like work out more, take the time with my kids or build good habits with them so that, because I know that it's all, it's only a season and it's only going to last a few months and then something else is going to get crazy. And so as long as I like have that foundation, it helps me again with the reading different business books or self-help books or listening to different podcasts so that it's somewhere in my brain there when I need it most. Right. That is something that has really helped me, again, throughout the past decade probably. Okay. And then professionally, I think, you know, when having some of these, having to make difficult decisions or having tough conversations with employees, I go back to a lot of Brene Brown's work of kindness, er, kind of, what's the... What did she say? Hopefully you can edit this out. Yeah. Empathy. Uh, yeah, empathy, on... empathy, vulnerability, but then yes. also honesty is kind. Like being yes. up front with your employees, with your family members, with your friends about the things that you are struggling with or frustrated with them about being re- clearness is kind. Clearness, clearness is kind. Is kind. <laughs> I wish you had something that sounded <laughs> better. As long as you are upfront with them about your expectations and you are super clear with them and then confirm one, two, three times that you are clear with them. That I think is something that has helped me really significantly. Again, the vulnerability when you're not having that crisis moment or that moment where you are in stress mode so that they have that trusting relationship with you and know that you are going to be honest with them and that you have your, their best interest in heart. That's when I think you've built that foundation in a relationship, whether that's a client, an investor, a customer, an employee, you're then able to use that foundation to get through the hard times together. That's good stuff. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think there's lots of good learning that Brene offers to businesses, business owners, employees, as well as personal. But to me, fundamentally, it's recognizing it's a relationship at work, no different than your personal relationship. So Mm -hmm. that is being honest, being clear. Everyone benefits from that, even when it's bad news, because you may be dealing with an employee that as times evolved is no longer a good fit for either your company and they're going to be happier somewhere else, but they're only going to realize that if you have the honest conversations in a respectful way. Right. And then everybody wins. Everybody can move on. One of the things we teach in our training to early career professionals, because again, a lot of people don't teach this to someone right out of school, is what that dynamic between a manager and employee really is. And like, 
they complain about micromanaging. Why are they micromanaging? Why is this Why is your manager or this employer talking to you this way? And what kind of questions do you need to ask to clear the air, or to ask for follow, ask for more information, and really make sure that everyone's clear on expectations? And so, since what we do, we're not always in touch with the managers. We put a lot of that onus on the early career professional, and also teach them, hey, your boss's job is to make is. For, to make you look good. Like, they, they need yeah. you to be looking good right. for them to succeed. Like, right. because they've got a boss that they have to answer to. And so explaining that dynamic also helps an entry-level employer and intern go into those types of conversations with the manager with just a clear understanding of why they're having that conversation. And so I think more of that training and just teaching the impact to the young professionals helps to also set up that trusting relationship in a two-way in a two-way relationship so that again when things get tough or you know there's uncertainty or something that has to happen the young professional understands it a little bit more because it's a stressful moment you're yeah. not necessarily listening to every single word someone's saying to you in that stressful conversation but again when things are good similar to like what I said I do personally right. taking the time to do that some of that training and foundation laying that's good. So I guess thinking about, I, I want to ask, what are some of the things that, that maybe that you do that you that become part of the teaching that Ampersand now offers about how to go about building relationships internally or externally with stakeholders or customers? And what are some of the tips that you've offered you know, in the past or you're now offering through Ampersand on that? So again, to build the, it's hard in a Zoom world, right? <clears throat> we can't have as many in-person relationships. It's so much more effective. Look, yes. I can have three times as many meetings in a day that I could have four years ago. So I get a lot done, but I'm not building those same type of super important relationships that I know will stay with oh. us, me, far after that business relationship is over. So some of the ways I like to do it is by taking time just for relationship building, knowing that not everyone's gonna put the same emphasis or like take the same time for that. But like I've sent gift cards, Starbucks gift cards and said, hey, I'm buying you a coffee. Can we hop on Zoom for 15 minutes? I also take really extensive notes of people's the details that they say at the beginning of the meeting, like your five daughters and yeah. you know your five girls, and two of them are twenty one and going to college, and like all that stuff, I make note of that so that I can remember it later and bring it up in the next conversation. I use a tool called Otter that records all of my conversations. Um, oh wow! And then emails me a transcript following the Zoom call or Teams call or whatever, and so that entire transcript is then saved in each customer HubSpot file. And so it allows me then to go back. It's my cheat sheet. Yeah. <laughs> well, but everyone's got it, right? You yeah. can't keep it all in your head. Right. And it lets <clears> me go back in, you know, in my notes two minutes before the meeting to say, oh, yeah, ask him about his vacation or if he just got, she just got done with an MBA program. Make sure you follow up on that. And I'll highlight those notes so that I can easily find them later. And again, it's like my cheat sheet, but it helps to build more meaningful relationships because that just speaks to the trusting relationship that we have even though i'm using like technology to do it it helps i think the beauty of that is breaking down the barrier for people right because people probably that don't know that about you now they do if they listen to yeah, this sorry, but it's okay but but they may think god alice just got this great memory she remembers everything and it's like no 
I'm intentional about it. I use tools to help me be intentional. And they're, look, you can record it, but if you don't go look at it afterwards, there's no value in that. So you're diligent about the follow-up. And to me, that's the learning. Use tools around you to help you be better and be diligent about the follow-up. All right, I'm going to do another tool. All right. <laughs> so Microsoft, Gmail, they all have it like the snooze tool you know, if you've seen it. Yeah. And so I will have my, I go to bed every night with a clean inbox, not one email in my inbox. And so then I'll have the email come back to me at the time that I need to respond to it or at a time that I want to follow up on it. So if you tell me I'm follow up with me, you know, mid September, I'm really busy. I'm traveling here. I will actually snooze that email to come back to me September 15th so that on that day I can reply back to you and say, Hey, hope your trip was great. Hope your summer has been wonderful. Let's set up that call. And people always seem to be like wow thanks so much for staying on top of this i really appreciate it yeah. and it's like no we use like you have the same tool on your computer too but that's right it's I mean, been super i've been using that for years even when you had to pay for the tool now it's free and standard in all of these different email okay i love it no but i mean again i think if you're and if you it's obviously helps you be successful as you have been but if you're teaching that to these young professionals yeah. oh my gosh i mean what value yeah and all these kinds of Cheat cheese, like, where to stand at a happy hour? You know, what do you say if someone offers you a third drink and you actually don't want the third drink, but you want to stay there and you want to stay engaged in conversation? All kinds of... All kinds of stuff. I mean, as as you're talking, I'm thinking, I cannot believe that no one's thought of this before now, because it is so obvious. The frustration inside of companies dealing with young professionals that don't know and they expect them to know, and... All it does has been years and years of just pent up frustration, you know, year after year, right? And pent up uh, frustration. You've got manager. You know, there's so much out there of like managers turnover, they leave, and so much of it goes back to this frustration that they have to teach young professionals the same things over and over again. And frankly, in this environment where all, where so many people are hybrid and not in the office together. Young professionals are learning less skills than they were by osmosis before. It used to be that, like, I'm sitting at my desk, I see what's happening right. around me, and I'm learning it even when I'm doing my work. Or, like, my person sitting next to me in the cube makes 5,000 copies instead of 50, comes over and is like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did this, and we problem-solved it together. Yeah. Or, like, they make the decision of what to do, but still they're commiserating with their colleagues they right. to them. And then they either handle it the right way or they don't. And I, as the person sitting next to them, see the outcome of that. And so I learned that lesson. If I ever make 5,000 copies again or do something, right. here's how I handle it. But no one's going to slack and saying, oh, my gosh, I just made this huge mistake. Here's how I handled it. What do you guys think? No, that's just no. not the way that psychology works. Like, we're not going to do that. And so because of that, every individual has to learn every single lesson every time, which makes the managers even more frustrated than they were. Sure. I mean, there's just so much loss in the hybrid world of learning social norms. Yeah. And every office has them, right? Just in general, but every office has that. And you're right. You, in the, before the work from home and hybrid, you were in the office and you hopefully got trained some, but then you just, yeah, you, by existing, you just figured it out. So let's talk a little bit about you as a leader. How would you describe kind of your leadership style? How has that evolved since starting your own company at 23. Yeah. So at 23, I had, I mean, I had a hard time transitioning into that leadership role, as you can imagine. I'm sure any 23 year old does. And that's actually how Ampersand's ideas all started is I never felt comfortable at first hiring people older than me. So I was only hiring interns and people right out of college or people within my network in those early days because I just didn't have the confidence to lead people 
much older than me. So that became part of our culture of hiring interns and entry-level employees. But anyways, I, at first, I really wanted to be my employee's friend. It's and, natural. Yeah, and it took a while for me to understand that they didn't want to be my friend either. <laughs> I didn't really want to be their friend and they didn't want to be my friend and there's benefit to that separation of the relationship. But I think at first I was really trying to have this mentality of like, we're all in it together. Let's, you know, get in the foxhole and solve these problems as a, as a whole team. I didn't believe in titles and structure and there's a reason that, you know, this has existed for however many right. decades or hundreds of years. So uh, that was original. And as I mentioned, it, about the last decade or so I started doing more of that professional development. It started with Patrick Linciani, you know, a first book, which I think is always like a very easy business read, written in a fiction type of style, just to understand the ways to company more companies are run, because I had only seen one for about a year before I started my own company. Right. Uh, to then get my own find my own self as a leader. And I take a very friendly tone still as a leader, but I'm often quiet in meetings and let other people talk and hear the perspective of others and then like to gather people around me to help help solve problems together. I'm a visionary in the whole rocket fuel EOS model and right. so sometimes so I move very fast and I I like to I'm a salesperson by nature so like to sell, get people on board for my ideas, and then again, like give them the power on autonomy, bring the right people to the table to then go do what needs to be done. And I'm in a situation right now where my company was just acquired and I'm coming into a new company and coming into a new team and kind of finding my way as a leader as a lot of new people are in my team now that have been in other people's leadership for a while. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm trying to really just hear what is everyone's vision for this, what, and then put it all together and then strongly communicate what my vision is and what the vision of this department will be, right. our vertical will be, and then get the right people on the bus and the right seats so that we can all do it. Very good, very good. So any mentors along the way that kind of helped you as you've grown as a, an entrepreneur and a leader? Yeah, so I mean, m my parents for sure. They mm -hmm. have just been mentors in the sense of just encouraging me to fly as big and as high as the world will take me. I love it. Which I think is really important. EO has, as a whole, been just an incredible organization for me to be a part of, to not just have my husband to talk to about some of these <laughs> business struggles, but to collectively like use a group around me of mentors of people who have been in similar situations or not, but at least understand what I'm going through as a founder and as a leader. And then I've had an incredible advice in this company. I've had an incredible advisory board of leaders in different industries who have mentored me in different ways, whether that's fintech or hiring employees or fundraising. And so they're a little bit more vertical and specific into specific things that I needed to solve for technology when it's like, okay, I'm a service provider as a PR agency owner. I'm building a product through software and have to figure out SaaS pricing. I have no idea where I'm starting. And so yeah, getting the right people there has been really helpful. I think that surrounding yourself with the right people, especially in the areas that you aren't strong in, yeah. is maybe the single best thing anyone out there that's wanting to do what you've done now twice can do. Absolutely. There's no way. And it, again, when I was young, it, I had this mentality that I needed to figure it all out myself. And I had everything. And I was just focused on like getting the to-do list done every day. And now it's much more about, okay, 
all I, really like all I have is ideas and vision and I know how to get people <laughs> excited about my ideas and vision and then I need to bring the right people so that I'm making the right decisions at the right times and yeah putting, putting the right people in those seats. So one or two things if you with the listeners out here that you would say if you're thinking about stepping out or you just kind of started a new business here's one or two things that I would implore you to do or consider. So first is just to do it, just to start with a messy pilot, start with an Excel spreadsheet, a Word document. You do not need a business plan. Just like start talking about it, socializing it and testing it as quickly as possible. You'll get opinions from every single person that you tell the idea to. And most of them will be terrible opinions that you should just bucket away (laughs) into like an Evernote document or something. Keep track of them because you might need it later, but just start talking about it. Don't wait till it's perfect. Don't wait till it's fully fleshed out. And each time you talk about it, your pitch or your idea will change a little bit. And that's okay. That's what's supposed to happen so that you get what it's supposed to be out there. So that's one. And then the second is, as we were just talking, to surround yourself with people. Expand your network. Go to take advantage of the events around Houston. There's so many around Houston, every city, but like every city is trying to bring together innovators and so those are great places to go to again like start networking the idea start meeting new people you never know who you're going to run into especially if you get out there and talk about it and if you are more of an introvert and not ready not you're not comfortable in that environment do it through zoom do it through one-on-ones where you can have a little bit of a script or notes in front of you to practice on and build up your confidence gotcha and the snooze feature on email. <laughs> that one, I mean, if Gmail ever got rid of the snooze feature, it would take away all of my productivity. <laughs> I have no idea what I would do. I love it. All right, so on the personal side, what was your first job? I worked at a kid's bookstore when I turned 16. And yeah, I worked like the checkout. It was a very small mom and pop store. And then I, the, I guess my first part of entrepreneurship actually started there where I started running their birthday parties. So I saw kind of an opportunity that people were coming in for presents all the time. And I heard about all the different parties that people were doing. And so we started doing birthday parties where I would dress up as like a princess or a dinosaur or whatever. (laughs) I would read a couple of stories. Then we would do cake and arts activity, and then the party would be over, and the party favor was a book, and so it was like really uh, happening for the store. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously from Houston native, Houstonian, yeah. Tex-Mex or barbecue? What do you prefer? Oh, good Tex-Mex. Bad Tex-Mex. No. Okay. Yeah, okay. So I, and I'm going to put you on a spot to, to name any names <laughs> on the good or bad list, but good Tex-Mex. Good okay. Tex-Mex. Yeah. Favorite type of wine? Like type or brand? Sauvignon Blanc in the summer and Pinot Noir in the winter. My taste buds actually change when the season changes. Okay, so what's your favorite Savvy B? For both, I just like Duckhorn. Okay. Um, I used to belong, or I belong to the club out there, and yeah, it shows up at my house, so that also (laughs) That helps. That helps. Well, I read how you drank through your wine fridge during COVID, so. We did, yes, that is true, (laughs) but still like the basics. My husband traveled to San Francisco for seven years, back and forth, and so we got to go a lot of different ways. Gotcha. Okay, last question. If you could do a 30-day sabbatical, where would you go and what would you do? In my current stage of life with my kids, it would be Colorado in the summer. And we've been fortunate to do that a little bit, not a sabbatical, we're not working, but 
I love it there in the summer. We go to a small town outside of Breckenridge that has no more than a thousand people that live there. And we can bike, we can boat, we can hike, everything, yoga, all the things. And I am just a much happier person there, as is my husband and my kids. That's great. I would say that. Good. Maybe like later when I... (laughs) Older kids, I'd say some are much more fabulous, like Spain or South America. Right. For now. But for now, that's it. Okay. That's good. That's good. We would take you where you are. Great. So, Allie, this has been amazing. Thank you for taking the time, sharing your story. What an impressive career you've had so far. I know it's only going to get better. Thank you so much. This was fun. I appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to Building Texas Business. For more information, episodes, and summaries, head over to BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found it informative, please take a moment to rate, review, and share it with friends and colleagues. It really helps others find our podcast. As always, we appreciate the support and feedback of our podcast community. More episodes are coming soon, so be sure to check back.